You are listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul, episode 90. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to From Sobriety to Recovery. I am your host, Jesse Mogul, and I am honored to have you here for the next 30 minutes. As you know, I am in addiction recovery, and it is a constant search for new ways to live my life, for an up-leveling of myself at any time when I see it necessary. And this last weekend was an opportunity for me to see it in the most glaring detail that I think I have bore witness to since I got into sobriety on January 13th, 2017. Saturday night was not a good version of Jesse. And I love all the messages I get from everyone about how uh, I'm part of your program, about how this podcast has helped you, about the things that I talk about have helped you. And generally, when I read these, it's almost like the humility that I have to step into to realize how powerful you are as an individual to have access that strength within you to step into sobriety and begin to gather resources. And then the gratitude I have that you've chosen me as one of those resources is through the moon. It's just, uh, you know, Tim, I know you're out there listening and I'll tell you this, you know, when you and, and others send me out these messages, it is just, I, I, I get choked up. Like, I, I literally get choked up. And I say all that because this episode is going to be a lot about me stepping into a humble version of Jesse who knows he doesn't know <laughs> everything. I'm not even sure sometimes, based on my behavior, if I know much. <laughs> and Saturday is one of those humility filled moments. And I work on this with my therapist so much about stepping in to my humility, stepping out of my ego, um, you know, just background on the difficulty I have in accepting that I don't know everything, which I get sounds ridiculous to some, and maybe it sounds spot on to others, is that as a child, um, dad felt very strongly about spare the rod, spoil the child, especially when it came to my grades. And so not knowing things and not getting good grades was not something that was tolerated in my household. And because of that, I have this just this drive to know as much as possible, to know, you know, just, I mean, I know saying the words, I, I want to know everything. <laughs> it's got to sound ridiculous. But at the same time, there's this that energy, right, where it's like if I don't know something, then punishment comes. And as an adult... And it's not a good way to try to operate oneself. Because if you're going around acting like a know-it-all, then you become like this bulldozer, this instigator who just thinks that they're always right and everybody else is wrong. And that's old drunk Jesse's behavior. And that is definitely not what sober Jesse wants to do. And I say all that not because of what happened on Saturdays, me thinking that I know everything and I'm always right. But it is me thinking before Saturday evening that I 
had my emotional intelligence on the lockdown. I really thought that I had up-leveled myself to a point where I could not get emotionally triggered, that I could calm myself down, and that I could present myself and my emotions and my opinions in a manner of which would be calm and inviting and open. And it didn't come out that way at all on Saturday. And it's caused me to do a lot of self-reflection about where I'm at on my emotional intelligence journey and what else I could be doing to, I don't even want to say accelerate because this isn't a speed game. But there's de- but there's definitely some resources and tools that I literally had in my office in my my pseudo room if if you will that I was not using I was not even attempting to crack open let alone implement and emotional intelligence as I have talked about it in the past to me meant understanding my feelings and um, being able to internalize them get a grip on them, and externalize them in a very calm manner. And now that I've done some reading on emotional intelligence, I think it's time that we expand the definition of it. So I'll stop beating around the bush and just get to the point of what happened on Saturday night. As some of you may know that I've hinted around too, and I don't talk necessarily a lot about my relationships on the show, but I did move in with my girlfriend and... It's different because before I would just stay for a few days and then go back to my place and stay there for a few days. And finally, it was time to move the relationship forward and step into a whole new version of myself. And I knew it would be different in some aspects, but for the most part, I thought everything would just stay relatively the same. And that's not the case. And that's great. It's time to evolve. It's time to grow. It's time to step outside of that little 18 to 22 year old frat boy or that, you know, always down to party gator that I was. And all of that aside, I'm just trying to paint you a picture of the environment that I'm in now. And when Saturday came along and the election results came out, and my girlfriend and I don't see eye to eye in politics, um, she started to express herself. And my retort, my rebuttal to that was extremely emotional and triggered. I allowed her emotional trigger to get the best of my emotional triggered, and it just cascaded into just the most abysmal behavior on my part. I do not judge hers at all. I can control nobody else's actions. We have discussed this a plethora of times. You cannot control anybody else's actions. You can only control your own actions. You can control your thoughts, your feelings, your uh, behaviors and actions that come from those, and that leads to your results, which are going to anchor back to whatever particular circumstance came from that, right? And so it's all what you make of yourself, right? We've talked about this. And so I reference it again, just because if anyone out there is thinking, well, she got emotionally triggered, so then you got emotionally triggered and totally justifiable. You know, everybody loses their cool once in a while. That's, it's fine if you're having that thought. And like I talked to my therapist today that my behavior was abysmal. You know, I, I, I raised my voice. I got very angry. I stormed off into my office multiple times. I, I just did not play it cool. And this is important to discuss in terms of, I almost feel like I've just spent seven minutes of this podcast, almost eight now, and haven't really made it an indelible point. But it's like, 
When I started this podcast, there was a lot of times where my main intention was to discuss my journey, to tell you guys where I was, and to almost have it be like a, a talking vlog. Or, you know, rather than a blog, I would just be talking and telling you guys where I was at on my journey. And it's definitely transitioned into more of a, a coach trainer kind of thing where I, I really go off and I learn some things really great and I bring them to you and they're powerful and they help transform and, and they move you. And this is definitely one of those episodes where I'm feeling like it's just going to be, there's going to be some teaching because I'm, I'm stepping into a book called Emotional Intelligence 2.0 and I'm going to be using this book um, religiously moving forward for, I anticipate, years. Uh, this is not going to be something that I just talk about briefly for an episode or for a couple months and I let go away. In fact, the way I'm diving into Emotional Intelligence 2.0 is very much to take it on as somebody who will eventually train this and teach this in a class and a workshop. So that's just because that's my nature. I'm like, I'm going to take it on as a student, but I'm also going to take it on as, a, as somebody who's going to use it in their coaching. And I'm definitely going to start a program around this. And it's that important to me. It is that important to me. Because I, I see out there all the time emotionally unintelligent people who, who spout off, who get angry, who get violent, who scream, who yell, who, who, who are even just turning to tears, you know, whenever the situation really doesn't necessarily call for it, right? Where the, the emotions just don't seem to be in check. And up until... I read Emotional Intelligence 2.0. So, the, the, it, I mean, it's the easiest book ever to read because really you go on and you take this emotional intelligence test on the computer. It spits out a score. You read a little bit about self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, and relationship management, which are the four key skills that you need to build for emotional intelligence. And then the rest of the book is really just 15 or so different um, strategies in order to increase your scores. And so... After this whole yelling, screaming match that happened on Saturday, and I had previously already bought the book and was just sitting on it, and I was like, okay, I've gotta, I'm going to dive into this. Right? Like, I want to learn more about emotional intelligence because I think I'm really good at it, and I would love to learn some more so I can add it to the show, and I can add it to my coaching, and I can add it just to my life. And then Saturday happened, and I was like, wow, dude, no, <laughs> you do not have your emotional intelligence on lockdown is not the way you thought. And here's the thing about EQ, which is how it's referenced on the internet in places, emotional emotional quotient, whereas IQ is intelligent quotient, right? And so the way that it's referenced on the internet and the way that it truly is, according to the people who have studied this, is that while your IQ is relatively set, you will basically have the same IQ you know, the, your ability to learn and process information, it, it exists almost as a fixed number. And because I believe in growth mindset and I believe that things aren't fixed, I'm like, okay, what does that mean that it's fixed? Well, I mean, your IQ can fluctuate, you know, up and down a certain point. I'm trying to Google the internet, come up with somebody with a definitive answer. It didn't seem like there was one, but certainly it, it appears that, you know, we're looking at if your IQ is at 100, you're not going to just randomly wake up one day and study a bunch and your IQ is going to be 120. You might have learned some new stuff, but your IQ is still 100, right? Unless you, like, I don't know, have some, you know, amazing, oh, Jesus moment where you're like John Travolta in the movie Phenomenon, 
where, you know, he feels like he saw a bright light flash and the next thing you know, he's learning Portuguese in four hours or you have a severe brain trauma injury. You're, you're not really expecting that your IQ is going to drop by 20 or raise by 20. Emotional intelligence is not the same way. Emotional intelligence is definitely something that can be raised and is definitely something that if you do not practice that, it can get lowered. And myself, and so there's the two main competencies are personal competency and social competency. And personal competency makes up self-awareness and self-management. And social competence makes up social awareness and relationship management. And I took my scores, I think it was last night, and my self-awareness came out at 60, and my self-management came out at 65. My social awareness came out at 64. And my relationship management came out at 71. My emotional intelligence overall score is a 65. I mean, that's we're, I mean, that's like a D plus. <laughs> and here's the thing. I honestly, I mean, and I've done so much reading about this. And of course, you guys know I've dropped, I've been doing NLP on myself and on clients and from stage. And I really thought, okay, anytime there's a block or there's a trauma, I can do some NLP and I can see it from a whole new perspective and I can release the trauma. I can release the suffering and I can start growing toward a new, more, uh, better version of myself. I really had it locked in that as long as I didn't display negative emotions, then my emotional intelligence was good. I really honestly believe that, that even if I was having negative feelings, negative uh, emotions and negative energy in myself, and when you think about emotion, I mean, you're really just looking at E for energy and then the word motion. So it's just energy and motion. It's, it's this energy we have inside of our bodies that gets into emotion. I mean, you think about it, emotions cause some variation of energy within the body. Even sadness and depression, where you can't get out of bed, still is an energy of of motion. It's just, it's like you're so tense and you're so locked with this energy inside of you that you can't even move. I know that might sound crazy to have so much energy that you can't move, but think about when you've been the worst sad. It's not that you're like just limp and free. It's more like that you're tense and locked. So when we start thinking about this emotional energy and the idea that I had, that as long as I just kept any of the negative vibes, any of the negative thoughts inward, and even if that meant that I circled the wagons on them over and over and over and over and over again and just sort of let it just grind, but at least I wasn't displaying it, well, then I had emotional intelligence. I wasn't taking my negative energy and spewing it out, right? I was internalizing it but I wasn't externalizing it. According to this book, that is not how emotional intelligence works. Emotional intelligence, when it comes to not circling a certain thought, a certain feeling in your head over and over and over and over and over, almost like you're hovering around it, like one of these LA police helicopters that's circling my house looking for some sort of criminal mischief. Right When you circle these, these negative thoughts, and we've talked about automatic negative thoughts in previous episodes, when you circle and circle and circle these, right? even if you don't displaying the emotion, what you think about, what you're talking about inside your head becomes the way you feel. And then it becomes your actions. Right? We've talked about circumstances equal thoughts, trigger feelings, 
cause actions equal results. And those results anchor back on the original circumstance that started the loop to begin with. So if the girlfriend decides to bring up politics and we start to disagree, right? So the, first of all, the circumstance is always neutral. So the, the idea that we disagree is the thought. We are standing in the kitchen talking politics. That's the circumstance. That's the actual fact. That is what exists in real time. That is one without an opinion. We are in the kitchen. We are talking politics. The thoughts that come after that we're arguing, that we're disagreeing, that what she's saying is, is crazy, what I'm saying is crazy. Those are the thoughts that are coming from the actual circumstance. But those aren't the facts of the circumstance. There's a big difference. Because somebody standing on the outside looking in might just be like, okay, they think that the fact is that one of them believes this way and the other one believes that way. But those are just the thoughts that they're creating around the action of what they're actually talking about. And then from that, the thought gets sparked into feelings, and then the feelings result in actions, which is yelling and anger and screaming and this negative energy, which is not tolerable as this newer version of myself. And the brilliance of having this book that I bought a few weeks ago and I've been sitting on, I've been randomly seeing it in airports when I travel for like the last two or three years. Basically, it just keeps floating around in my sphere. And finally, I bought it used on Amazon. It showed up. The, the first chapter tells me to go take this emotional intelligence test. The paper in the back of the book to, to go take it is not there because it's a used book. So then I contact them. They say, yeah, you had a used book. You got to go to Audible and buy the book. It's like 12 bucks and you'll get a number that way. I'm like, okay, great. So I get all that set up and I still don't go take the test. And I sit on it, and I sit on it, and I sit on it, and then Saturday happens. And now I'm like, nope, this is a sign. It's time to make a difference. It's time to make a change. So I am going to go over what self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, and relationship management mean, because ultimately, if you're finding yourself internalizing your emotions and not handling them as well as you'd like, if you're one of those people who believes that if you, as long as you don't externalize your emotions and you just hold them inwards that you're then you're somehow helping the situation that is not right and that isn't just my opinion I mean, that, is, that is what this book clearly states and these people are scientists or doctors or people who've done a tremendous amount of research <laughs> this isn't one of those books where we can sit here and debate alternate facts or anything else like that it's like some of some books i read i'm like okay you know, I'm going to listen, I'm going to take some of it in, I'm going to decide what I really like. This is one of those books where I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to take what they say straight at face value, and I'm going to start working on stuff. And I'm not going to sit here and debate whether this strategy is the best or that strategy is the best, or, well, maybe in this scenario it would work, but, you know, that's not what my scenario was like. No. No, because that's buffering, and that is just trying to find a way out of doing the hard work. In personal competence, which I scored a 63, there's self-awareness and self-management. Self-awareness is my ability to accurately perceive my emotions and stay aware of them as they happen. This includes keeping on top of how I tend to respond to specific situations and certain people. And I really think that the, the sentence, stay aware of them as they happen. See, 
this is where I would get caught up in the idea that if I'm not externalizing an emotion, then I have complete control over it. Because old Jesse would, you know, and look, I wasn't the funnest drunk druggie out there. I did not get punched at bars. I could be stumbling and falling over and blacked out and everyone would still love me. I was not at all an angry drunk. But I would certainly have those times coming out of a good buzz, being super sick, hungover, trying to recover from the poison. And I'd spout off. I'd yell at my roommate for not cleaning the dishes. I'd scream at the dog for barking too much. I'd get upset with my girlfriend over something silly. Like, I would have this internal rage monster inside of me that was just begging to be set free. And I felt him Saturday night. And this is why I realized that holding emotions in and not discussing them and not discussing them in an emotionally triggered way, but discussing them in an emotionally grounded way. Moving through that emotion that I'm feeling in that moment, saying, okay, I feel it now. Do I have to walk away? Do I have to go into the office? Do I have to go into the bedroom? Do I just need to go sit down on the couch and chill? Right? Like, not every conversation needs to be continued in that moment. If you feel emotionally triggered, it is perfectly normal to walk away. And... The rage monster did not want to walk away. He wanted to continue to rage because he hadn't been set free in over three and a half years. He was having a good old time. You like my rage monster voice? (laughs) I feel like it's adding a little something to the idea of a rage monster. So, self-awareness. Staying aware of my emotions as they happen. Self-management is my ability to use awareness. Right? Let's 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 add you into this into this conversation. It's it's mine and yours ability to use awareness of our emotions to stay flexible and positively direct our behavior. This means managing our emotional reactions to all situations and people. Right, the awareness of our emotions to stay flexible and positively direct our behavior. Managing our emotions and emotional reactions to all situations and people. So self-awareness is saying that we accurately perceive our emotions and stay aware of them as they happen in response to certain situations or people. Self-management is not only so now we have this awareness that we've taken from the the previously self-awareness part but now we're bringing it down into self-management where we are using our self-awareness of our emotions to positively direct our behavior right we're managing our emotional reactions to all situations and people so first you want to be aware of your emotions and then you want to positively direct and and manage them these two scores come up to personal competence. That's where I got a 63. Now, social competence is the combination of social awareness and relationship management. And it's, about, and it's more about how we are with other people. So social awareness, of which I got a 64. The other two, self-awareness, 60. Self-management, 65. Not good. It's like a D minus. Social awareness is my our ability to accurately pick up on emotions in other people and get what is really going on. This often means understanding what other people are thinking and feeling, even if you don't feel the same way. Right, so this is our social awareness, being aware of other people's emotions. 
what they're thinking, what they're fe- feeling, being able to accurately pick up on it. I'm sure if you're one of those people who's, you know, you've a relative, family, friend, someone in your life comes around you and you can feel that their energy's down. You can feel, feel that they're having a hard time. This is that social awareness. Right? This is this is being able to like maybe you're a boss or you're in some position of management and you walk in, and it's being able to read the room. Right? This is what they say, you know, read the room better. You know, understand if people are tense, understand if people are stressed. If you're in a sales position and you're a manager, understand that the last three days of the month when people are trying to get their numbers, they might be super stressed. Right? It's being able to have enough emotional awareness that when you are approaching a big group of people or a small group of people or any freaking person, (laughs) how many groups of people was I going to rattle off there? Imagine going into a meeting and having a social awareness that, oh, this person over there, man, they they, they arms crossed, head down, sweating a little bit. Uh, They must be going through withdrawals or they're having a really bad day or maybe they're in their first few weeks. Somebody across the room and they're smiling and laughing and, you know, they're, that you can tell through their body language it's a pretty happy day for them. And that's just the social awareness. You can really practice this in meetings. Once you can actually go to meetings, unless you're in a state that's, you know, free and open already, then congratulations, go to meetings and start using your social awareness to pick up on other people's emotional cues. Relationship management is, is our ability to use awareness of our emotions and the emotions of others to manage interactions successfully. Letting emotional awareness guide clear communication and effective handling of conflict. Now, I'm going to get to the effective handling of conflict portion in a moment, but let's really park a little bit. Let's hover, if you will, on the using awareness, our social awareness of our emotions and the emotions of others to manage interactions successfully. Where this is super helpful and something that I'm sure you've been able to do in meetings is this is understanding how your emotions and somebody else's somebody else's emotions will dictate whether the interaction you're having with them is successful or not. If you're super happy, bouncy, and excited, and meanwhile they're they're having a bad day, they're mopey, and they're depressed, coming up to them like they're like they're Eeyore and you're Tigger, and you're going to be like, "Hey, why don't you smile? Come on, man, everything's great, everything's awesome. I love you. I love to bounce, 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 but bounce, bounce, but bounce." And meanwhile, Eeyore is over here being like. Yeah, I'm like three days off heroin and I just got kicked out by my girlfriend and I wrecked my car and I lost my job and basically my life's a country song being played backwards or forwards. <laughs> and the point is, uh, that's not when to be Tigger. Be socially aware and have the kind of relationship management that would show you that lowering it down and being a little bit more like Pooh or Piglet in that situation would probably help your raise up at least past Eeyore over to a piglet poo kind of scenario. You're not going to get somebody from Eeyore to Tigger. That's just, they might fake it, but that's not what they're really feeling on the inside. So when you see somebody not having a great time, perhaps even crying, trying to get them all of a sudden jubilant, like they're getting ready to win the lottery or they're on a roller coaster is, I mean, it's just has a human brain as an emotional center that these emotional beings that we are, that's just not the progress that we're going to make from Eeyore to Tigger. When I coach people on how to quit drinking or I coach people on how to lose weight, I have to get them from the part where they're overweight and they look at their body and they, they're disgusted and they hate their body and they wish they never had a body. I can't get them right to loving their body. 
I got to get them first past disgust to just content or acceptance. I can't try to explain to somebody the powers of sobriety that I feel now at almost four years or that I even felt at a year when they're only on two weeks. Sitting there and peppering them with how amazing life's going to be makes it this whole future thing. I need to paint the picture and, and, and get them to just go from life will never be the same without alcohol to be, you know, life is going to be, you know, life is not, life, if life, if you think about the, the ladder you would need to climb from, life is horrible and will never be the same and without alcohol, just a rung or two up would just be like, life's not too bad without alcohol or life's just bad without alcohol. It's not miserable. Like miserable is definitely lower on the rung than bad. So if I can just get somebody to go from life is miserable without alcohol to just life is bad without alcohol, we're working our way up the ladder. And that's what we're looking for here. Think about that next time you're sitting here trying to convince someone of something that might go against all of their thinking. To get them go to go from life is miserable without alcohol to life is the best thing ever without alcohol. There's like 50 rungs of a ladder in there. So you've got to provide a space where they can climb the rungs of the ladder at their pace. This is not always something that I understood in the first few months, year of my sobriety. I was just so happy to to break free from the shackles of alcoholism. And the moment I got sober, I stepped into retrieving all of my talents, passions, skills, and hobbies that alcohol had stripped away from me. And as I picked them all up, I just couldn't understand why anyone else would be sitting over there acting like Eeyore when I was acting like Tigger. What kind of lack of social awareness and relationship management did I have to not even be aware that other people were on their version of journey and me bouncing off the walls like Tigger was not helping their Eeyore self move up even just a rung? That is one of the reasons why I didn't start this podcast till I was at my second year of sobriety and recovery. Not because I didn't think that I had some knowledge or a conversation or a point of view to add to the world of addiction recovery. But mostly because when I would talk to myself about it or I would talk to my therapist about it, I was still... I still lacked a certain awareness of meeting other people where they're at and being open to the idea that everybody's on their own different journey and I can't just force feed them my point of view and expect them to just radically jump into it. Trust me, I have gotten plenty of messages. Well, I'm not going to say plenty. I have got a, I have had a few messages not giving me the best Let's just say that it's the opposite. Those of you who write nice things to me, I have received some messages where people do not write the same stuff. (laughs) And if you want to read something that's absolutely hilarious, I would highly recommend you go to my iTunes um, account or my iTunes podcast and go and read one of the reviews this person wrote about the show. Most of the reviews people write are like two or three sentences. This person wrote like a, short stir, short story <laughs> and just berated me <laughs> and if you read it 
and I'm going to point it out the cause and effect. If you read, this person's at total cause, right? They take they're they, they're taking very little to no responsibility for their own behavior, even in the way that they're writing this. I think they call me OCD and sexist at one point, and then they finish like the last seven sentences of this review are completely sexist representations of women and how they get ready for things. And I think he calls me OCD because I look at my Google Maps an hour or two before I go to an event and keep an eye on it to make sure traffic hasn't increased. I'm <laughs> just like, uh, it just, it's, 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 it's just hilarious. And, and I realize that not everything I talk about, especially the way I talk really fast and I get super into things, I get that I'm not everybody's cup of tea. I mean, certainly there have been thousands of listens to my first few podcasts, and I see a noticeable drop-off once we get um, past 7 to 10 to 12-ish. And look, I, I get it. Not everyone's going to dig on this. And, I, and I'm just telling you guys this story. One, because I, when I read that review the other day, I was I was like, finally, I got trolled. Finally. We have a thing out here in Los Angeles that says if you put things on the Internet and you haven't gotten trolled, then you're not, then, then you haven't made it. You've made it when somebody finally trolls you because then you know that you're 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 doing great things when the haters want to come out from the shadows and start barking nonsense at you. <laughs> so if you post things online, be rooting for the haters. Um, but all of this goes back to the original idea of why I didn't start this podcast right away because I wanted to make sure that I was coming at addiction recovery from a place of, of groundedness and a place where everyone felt accepted. And yes, I have read some things by an author named John Bishop. Well, I think it's Unfuck Yourself and Stop Doing That Shit are the two books of his that I've read. And I love the way he coaches. I love the way that he speaks. Just very in your face. I've definitely taken that on in the podcast. I've definitely taken that on during the stage where it's just like, okay, we're done with the freaking excuses here. We're done with the bullshit nonsense that we're telling ourselves. I I like to say things like, if you want to swim in your own stories, if you want to swim in your own shit, eventually you're going to drown in your shitty stories. If you're trying to convince yourself the reason you act a certain way is because this, 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 and this, and that's why you've always acted this way, you're never going to change, great. Swim in your bullshit stories, and you can drown in your bullshit. And that's just the way that it is. And I say all that again because that's why we're talking about emotional intelligence 2.0. A lot of the times when I dive into material, I dive into it as someone who's going to teach it and coach it. And I love taking on that mentality because it causes me to learn it a different way. I, I like to say that it causes me to aggressively learn it because I know that one day I want to be able to really know the material, have a foundation of experience around the material so I can go off and I can help others with that material. There are other times where I like to step into things as a student and I just say, this is just going to be for me. And I'm just going to do this. I'm just going to learn this. And if it has any kind of tertiary results, if there's any kind of secondary gain to it, then that's awesome. But that's not the intention of getting into it. This is one of those books where it's like I'm, I'm super torn about how I'm going to go at it. I know I started off this podcast by saying I'm going to start a program around this, and I, I have to. I feel a calling to do this. The moment I got into this book, the moment I walked away from that situation on Saturday night, I knew there had to have been a better way. And I knew that if I was struggling with this, then so were other people. You know, I used to, I, not used to, I still say, look, you know, Tony Robbins, you know, he's this, I know he has a film called I'm Not Your Guru. A lot of people still think he's like this personal development guru. 
And I like to say that he's got 99 problems too. Money may not be one, but I can guarantee you he's got 99 problems. They just are different than yours. Or at the core, all of our problems the same. They all go back to the six human needs. Certainty, variety, love and contribution, growth, significance. They all go back to that. So even though you might think that your problems are nothing compared to his problems. Oh, Jesse, he's Tony Robbins. He knows how to fix everything. He fixes people. He, I've seen in those shows, there's been women who've been in like sex slave kind of cults and he somehow has them laughing and happy at the end of it. Surely he can solve all his problems. Well, <laughs> yeah, he might have the tools and resources to solve them, but it doesn't mean that he doesn't have problems. He just might be able to maneuver through them more efficiently. And that's what we're going to do with this book. I would highly recommend that anybody who thinks that they circle around negative energy, negative thoughts, they, 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 they bottle things up, they hold things in, thinking that that somehow is healthy response, that that somehow is emotional intelligence. Like I honestly, I honestly did think that as long as I didn't just externalize the, the, the kind of bad thinking I would have sometimes that I was, oh, okay, I'm more mature because I'm able to internalize these emotions and hold on to them and not not release them out into the wild. But I was still circling the wagons in my head. I was still allowing this negative thought to just keep going down this metaphysical, metaphorical drain. Right? I'd still find myself getting emotionally triggered by things on Instagram or Facebook. And then I I thought because I was scrolling by it that I was, oh, my EQ must be really great. I just scrolled by this ridiculous post and I didn't say anything whack. That's not the case. I wasn't handling the emotion that I was feeling. I was scrolling past it, so eventually that emotion dissipated, but it didn't go away. It still existed somewhere inside of me. You've seen these emotionally unintelligent people where somebody makes a post about red state, blue state, and next thing you know, everybody's in there barking and yelling and screaming and nobody listening. That's the problem with our politics now. That's the problem with the social justice issues. That's the problem we're having with COVID. Everybody's screaming from their pulpit and nobody listening. There's a reason why there's only one preacher at a church. Because if there was 15 people up there preaching at the same time, and nobody listening to nothing. Try putting on five podcasts. Hell, just try putting on two podcasts at once and see how that works. Now imagine there was a thousand podcasts going on at once. That's what Facebook is. It's everybody with their own opinion. and You, you might scroll by some of it. But if you're getting emotionally triggered and you're not, you're not asking yourself, why did you get emotionally triggered? And this is the kind of stuff that the Emotional 2.0 is talking about. It's like, let's work on understanding why these emotions are coming to begin with. Let's stop labeling emotions positive and negative and just understand that emotions are emotions. Let's not try to push away the negative emotions. Let's not fight off the idea that when we spout off that it's that it's a failure. If we think it's a failure, step into it and call it that. And I've you know me, I love to reframe failure as a uh, as a feedback opportunity. But sometimes it just sucks to fail. And yeah, there's feedback and there's experience points and there's a way to step out of that from a third person point of view and see it from a better perspective where it was a challenging experience and I walked away with it with with experience points like a video game. And I'll, one day I'll go back and I'll retry, but I'll have more experience points and maybe a better shield and better armor. I mean, it, it, it's, it could be seen both ways. 
But if at some point I just want to say, fuck, Saturday night I failed. It is a feedback opportunity, and it can also be a failure. And seeing it positive doesn't mean that the, the feeling I have of failure, that negative emotion, is just going to go away. And it also doesn't mean that it's wrong. I needed to experience Saturday night. I needed to freak out. I needed to get angry in order to reset my focus back onto actually working diligently on my emotional intelligence. When I got in the when the the boogie boarding accident at the beginning of May, and compressed my five my five six seven vertebrae, and caused nerve damage in my right arm, and almost broke my nose, and messed up my index fingers on both hands, and you know partially tore my labrum and tore my bicep a little bit, like I really screwed myself up. I'm not going to walk away from that thing. Well, I needed that in order to understand my body better. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't need that to understand my body better. But now, because of that situation, I've learned about so much more about how my muscles connect to one another and what, how my nerves connect to certain areas of my body and how lifting weights lighter but you know uh, slower and with more reps and, and less rest time can actually help me build my muscles just as much as extremely heavy weights six times with a five-minute rest in between. I'm 44 years old. I'm not looking to. I'm not looking to be Mr. Universe over here. I'm not trying to aim for Arnold Schwarzenegger at 21. I'm just trying to aim for being super healthy and perhaps being able to boogie board at 55 or go skiing at 60. But you need these these recalibrations of your compass once in a while to just make sure that okay, am I really working as diligently on this stuff as I thought I was? For my emotional intelligence, I have come to the conclusion that I am not. But I am now. I wasn't, and now I am. I'm sitting here, the book's in my hand. The book's been out right in front of my computer this entire time. In fact, I'll post a in fact I'll I'll post a picture of my podcast setup when I'm done with this and put it over on my Instagram. I'm going to get out of here. I didn't expect to be on this thing for 42 minutes and there's a part of me that thinks I should just go back and restart the whole thing and and just be more succinct. But honestly, like I said at the beginning of this, this is one of those where I just felt like it was almost like just an emotional deluge that I felt on Saturday, and I just needed to express that. That we're all human. We all have these 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 moments where we have to be humble. I have to eat some humble pie. I went back and apologized to her. Because see, it, it, her actions, she can, she's going to act however she wants to act. Other people in your life are going to act however they want to act. That you cannot control. I hesitate to say that it's of your no concern to you how they act. Because, yeah, I mean, if somebody's just screaming in your face and barking things at you all the time, yeah, I mean, there's going to be those moments in your life you have to start asking yourself, okay, is this a situation I really want to be in? If it's relatively great and then it has these moments where it's not, then that, those are moments to learn and grow through. And that's when you can look at yourself in the mirror and say, did I behave the way I want to behave? It's your sobriety and recovery. It's my sobriety and recovery. How someone else's choose to act cannot manipulate or influence me to act in a way I 
am not approving of. We all have a choice how to behave, how to express our feelings. And I think most importantly, it's the way we internalize our feelings and the way that we beat ourselves up and the way that we, you know, it's just the little things like looking at yourself in the mirror and calling yourself fat or beating yourself up over things that you eat or beating yourself up over how much sleep you got or beating yourself up over how much you wanted to sleep in on a certain day. In in Brene Brown's book, Daring Greatly, she talks about how shame it can be so subtle. Laughing at me as I eat my 19th donut of the day is very blatant shaming. But this tiny little shaming where you say things like, well, you should have already known that or you should have known better. I didn't know I had to do this. I didn't know I didn't know how to explain to you that. These little things that might just come off as just the way that you want to talk to someone, it's still can be internalized by that other person, by yourself, by me. It's shaming. A parent talking smack about another parent bringing store-bought cookies to a bake sale and, you know, insinuating that they're not a good parent because they did that is shaming. Questioning whether a, a mother does this, that, or the other versus what you do is shaming. Running a mile and doing it a minute faster than your friend and then scoffing at them and saying, ha, I'm two years older than you. I ran a minute faster. It's shaming. We have to be aware of when we're doing this stuff to people because it can ding them. And we're not all little snowflakes here. We're not, we're not expecting everybody to walk around with kid gloves. But it's also the way that we talk to people. It's also just being generally polite. And I would say the first person we should start being more polite to is ourselves. I'm going to be diving into this Emotionally Intelligence 2.0 book. I've already made it through the major readings. Now it's the strategies. I'm working on my self-awareness first because that's what the thing told me to do. If you'd like to come on this journey with me, I highly recommend you go out and get Emotional Intelligence 2.0. Take the Emotional Intelligence test. Hit me up on the DM. Send me an email. Let me know what's going on with you in this. I'd love to be able to bring somebody on who's doing this. I will be aggressively dissecting this book and turning it into a program as soon as possible. And I'm talking like January of 2021. Let's go on this journey together. Let's do this. Because we can't just poof, snap our fingers and be um, our IQ up 30 points. But with diligent work and the usefulness of the strategies that we can that we can read about and implement into our lives, we can dramatically increase our emotional intelligence. Studies have shown that people with better emotional intelligence succeed in their careers more often. They succeed in their relationships more often. They have a more positive self-esteem around themselves. They have higher incomes. They, they get promoted more often. They're better leaders. Hell, they're better followers. You will just be better in every aspect of your life. It's sort of like when I started eating healthy when I first got sober. The secondary gain of that all of a sudden became, you know, I wanted to work out a little bit more. I had more energy. I started, you know, my my hair started to shine a little bit better. My skin wasn't so oily, so I felt more confident. 
Then I started, because I was more confident at work, I started talking to more people, and then I started having more friends, and then, you know, then that got me comfortable meeting new people. So when I went to meetings, all of a sudden I was able to meet new people and, and create friendships there. And then next thing you know, I was I was leading meetings, and then, I'm, and then all of a sudden I'm studying things on leadership, and then I'm reading books on sobriety, and then addiction recovery, and then NLP comes my way. So many things about my life changed that I can draw a direct line back to eating healthy. I think that that's how this EQ journey I'm getting ready to embark on is going to be. I'm going to never forget Saturday night. I will never forget what triggered that entire thing. I will never forget that that was the impetus for me to, to embark on this journey. If this is the hero's journey, that was the catalyst that got me to set out and find a better way. I've got my resources. I've got my tools. I've got my EI 2.0 book. I'm going to let you guys go because I'm almost at 50 minutes, and that's crazy. I did not mean to keep you on for so long. I really hope this didn't end up coming off as some sort of soapbox pulpit. I said that I did this. I did a very similar episode for the college success habits because I think that this is something that's extremely necessary for the teenage and 20-something people too. So then I just immediately hit stop on that and hit record, and now I'm talking to you guys again. So I've basically been talking for two straight hours on a microphone. <laughs> this is that important to me. I have been talking about how we have all been raised by an emotionally unintelligent society for how long now? And I had done some pretty great work. I, I mean, I still, I will not go back and say that the work I had done up till, till Saturday was for naught. It was, it was great work. It meant something. But to me, that was like primary school or even, you know, high school. That, 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 now I'm going to go with primary school. I think emotional intelligence 2.0 is I'm going to learn this stuff. This is going to be like maybe junior college. I don't know. I'm not figuring out a right way to draw the metaphor to school. But I don't feel like this book is graduate school. I think it's going off and implementing these things into my life on a regular basis, mastering them, not beating myself up in my head, not holding back emotions whenever I want to express them. But I also want to make sure I express them in an emotionally grounded way. Not internalizing emotions and then circling them in a drain in my head over and over and over and over and over and over and over again until I just beat myself up with them. What you think all the time becomes who you are. What you think all the time becomes how you feel all the time. How you feel all the time is how you begin to act all the time. And then how you act all the time are the results that you get all the time. Let's work on our emotional intelligence together. Let's do this journey. I do not have all the answers. But as a coach, one of the things I was taught, and I'll leave you guys on this as a coach, people are like, oh, you're a coach. You must have everything together. I'm like, no. Coaches don't have everything together. But we have a plan in place to get things together. When I see an area of my life that I am not happy with, that is not going in the right direction, I have a plan in place. If nothing else, it's just my usual, okay, here's the problem. Here's my theory on why the problem exists. Here's the test I'm going to do on how to make the problem better. Now let's go act upon it. Just the fact that I'm willing to develop my growth mindset, be courageous, and make a decision. And by stepping into that decisiveness, I take action. And it's through that action that I embrace discipline. And you embrace discipline, then you can begin to understand flexibility. 
when you have flexibility, you can show up with tenacity in your everyday life. That is what I promise to you I am doing. That is what I promise to you I will continue to do. I know for a fact that's the way that you're taking on your sobriety and recovery because I hear from hundreds of you. Let's step into this journey together. Inclusivity over exclusivity, the power of positive energy, release and flow. Please hit me up on the DMs, drop some comments into some of the posts I make, whatever it is, however you want to communicate out to me, please just go ahead and do that. Do know that I can't always get back the moment you're right. It is not a rudeness thing. Sometimes I just, I got a lot going on and I, and I stick all those messages off and I say, I'll go check them out. I might even read it and then come back to it later. But I promise you, I am noticing what you're writing and I'm getting back to you as fast as I possibly can, especially those that have put things into the to the Facebook page from Sobriety to Recovery. I've moved almost all the conversations over to the group from Sobriety to Recovery. If you're still going to the page and sending me messages, please join the group. That is where I am most of the time. I found messages in from Sobriety to Recovery's Facebook group that I have not answered since June. That is not intentional. <laughs> Things get posted in there by Instagram. So there are times I will go months without opening that up. So please come over to the group and I will also be more diligent to step into that page at least once every couple months, at least a couple times a month to not leave those messages hanging. However you want to reach out to me, please reach out to me. I'm so honored and humbled by you being here. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I have stepped into my vulnerability uh, as much as I am emotionally intelligent enough to do right now, and I will continue to open up even more. Please open up back. Understand that the power of your positive energy will allow you to release and flow. It's okay to be sad sometimes too. It's all part of the human experience. I love you all. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.